0: Hi, this is Rabbi Eric Leiby, and I'm pleased to bring to you the fifth Aliyah of the Sidra of Vaet Elai. Moshe says, these words, meaning the Ten Commandments that I just mentioned, the Lord spoke in a mighty voice to your entire congregation from the mountain, that is from Sinai, that from the midst of the fire and the darkness of the clouds, Lo Safir means God showed Himself once and spoke, and that was it, not to be repeated. It was a one-time theophany, not uh, to uh, not to happen again. And He wrote them down; that is, God wrote them down on the two tablets of stone, and He gave them to me; that is, to me, Moshe. Uh, who is making this speech? At issue in Aliyah Five is the experience of this theophany, which is r- literally means the the uh, the sound, the phone of theo of God, but it really means kind of a revelation of God to man. And God, when God speaks out of the Ten Commandments from the mountains in all of its fire and glory, what actually takes place? The detailed original accounts is in Chapter Nineteen and Twenty of Shemot, but I'll do a quick review here based on what I learned from Rabbi. The complication with this theophany is that back in Shemot, God tells Moshe to go to the mountain and hear the Torah and be an intermediary for the people. But the people jump on this right away, as I imagine God knew that they would, and says, hey, it's not fair. Uh, We want to hear the word of God directly. Not We don't want to experience it secondhand. We want to experience the theophany. But when they start to experience the actual theophany firsthand, it proves much too much for them. They get more than they bargained for her anu aish and when You, Moshe relates to them, what happened some 39 years ago, not again to them, but to the first generation, but he's putting them in their place. When you heard the voice uh, from the midst of the darkness and the mountain burning with fire, meaning you saw all that. All of your tribal leaders approached me and said, behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness. And we have heard the voice from the midst of the fire. Today we see, meaning we understand that God can speak with the man. Note the emphasis on ha adam, the man, and live. Now, what becomes clear is they don't mean any man; they mean Moshe only. Since about themselves they say vatah But now, why should we die? So they say, hey, we see that God speaks, but man, we are going to die, and we see that you get it, but we can't, we can't experience this. Indeed, this great fire will consume us if we continue to hear the Lord, our God, anymore, and we will die. Because who among flesh-based beings like us can hear the voice of the living God and live? Now, obviously, it's a rhetorical question, meaning no one, not one of us, except for you, Moshe, Therefore, they request that something that Moshe has really been trying to avoid, as I'll try to show, since God asked him to go up to the mountain in the first place. Moshe, I believe, and I'll try to prove, wanted the people to hear it for themselves. They wanted, he wanted, they wanted the people to hear the Torah. But now they say, You go close. And hear everything the Lord, our God, will say. And you relate to us everything that the Lord, our God, will say to you. And we will hear it. That is, we'll obey it. We will do it. So they go back to the idea of Moshe being the middleman. They say, well, remember that idea that we were going to hear it ourselves? Bad idea. Let's go back to plan A. Um, According to Ibn Ezra, this... Takes place this fear when the people demand that Moshe intervene takes place after the first two commandments I am God number one and number two you will have no other gods besides me which explains why those two commandments God speaks in first person uh, but from three to ten it's all speaking about uh, about God in the third person. Some commentators say that the people heard all of the Ten Commandments, but the rest of the Torah they did not hear. But either way, the reason why I say that Moshe didn't like the idea is that, in fact, if we look at the next verse, he never answers the people's request to go and be an intermediary. It's God that actually speaks up and intervenes for them. And the Lord heard the sound of your words, which means I think he, he heard the tenor of your words, the sincerity of your request that Moshe should be your emissary. They weren't just trying to a ditch, they were really felt they couldn't handle it and wanted Moshe to do it for them. Which you, that is Moshe speaking, the people spoke to me. That is, God heard what you he said to me and he said as follows. And the Lord said to me, I heard the sound of the words of this nation that they spoke to you, they have spoken everything well. tivu according to Nekham Leibowitz, is an adverb. It modifies the verb they spoke, which means they've they've spoken well. They're saying good things, and I think the idea is that God is saying that the people's. Um, uh, desire to set you up as intermediary is a good thing, which seems to imply, if God has to convince Moshe of it, that Moshe does not think it's a good idea. And the reason I think Moshe doesn't think it's a good idea is as follows. If Moshe goes up to the mountain and brings down the commandments, then the people could always say later, oh, that's not what God said, you made a mistake. Or, are you sure that's what God said? Or worse, you're just making that up, Mr. Rabbi. Uh, Moshe wants the people to hear it so that they can't say, oh, that's just what the Rabbi said. Moreover, he wants the people, in a positive sense, to have a direct communication without him as a middleman, probably part of his humbleness and his desire to want everything good for the Jewish people. But God, in my opinion, understands this better than Moshe does. Why? Because he understands that eventually there will be a second generation, and then a third generation, and then a fourth generation, etc., etc. And since God does not reappear on the mountain every generation, as he said, the Lo Yassaf, it is critical, eventually, the next generations are going to have to hear it through another human being, which means it's critical for God to build the system of trust and education and what's called misorah, tra- transferring down gener- from generation to generation the words of the Torah. And it needs to begin, in God's opinion, even with the first generation, because eventually it's going to hit you by the time of the second generation, which is exactly what's happening now to Moshe, with Moshe of the people. He's speaking to the second generation saying, listen, here's the Torah. But they weren't there at the mountain. They just have to pretend or, or, or feel like they were at the mountain. But ultimately, the mechanism is not a new theophany every generation, but a transfer of God's law from hand to hand. Now, God understands that what's important, therefore, for this Mesorah, for this transmittal, this consistent and, 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 and flawless transmittal of the Torah is trust and dedication. And that's more important to the continuation of the religion than hearing it directly. Now, one could ask, why doesn't God just schlep every generation the mountain to hear it directly? Uh, if the problem is that the second generation and third generation are going to have to go through an intermediary anyway, so we start off with an intermediary, so why don't we just, every generation, God takes us all on a big cruise to the Sinai Desert and does the whole theophany again. Why does he say, Velo yasaf that he would not repeat it? Now, I don't know the answer. But perhaps it's what they said that the that that the experience is too overwhelming it, it It would kill anybody except for one completely in tune with God like Moshe, and if they heard bits of it, there's a the potential for misunderstanding or misinterpretation, the word of guilt, uh, of God if you're not in Moshe with that ability to communicate with God, it's just too risky perhaps I mean I really i don't know I don't have an answer, but in any event, God says to Moshe me ta me Moshe apparently is saying. I don't want to do this. I don't want to be an intermediary. And God is saying you should. And then he says, Me <laughs> tain does not mean who will give literally. It, it translates to halavai, meaning if only. If only their hearts, i. e. in the future will be like it is now, in that they fear me and that they guard all my commandments for all times. Now Yamim does not mean days here, it means eras or times, in order that it be good for good for them and for their children. See the emphasis on the transmission to the children. God is saying I need to set up a system of trust and education. And look at their hearts, they're into it. They fear me and halavai that it will be like that every generation. So what make it what makes this work, he says to Moshe, is not one big firework show like Matas Yahu sings uh, firecrackers, but they never maintain. But a consistent dedication to, and yes, a fear and awe of God. That allows the Misora to exist, and that allows every generation to feel that they had heard it directly from God himself. So God tells Moshe, Lech emor lahem <laughs> lechem kol Go and tell them to, to, to return for their own sakes to, to their tents. And you, meaning you, Moshe, stand here with me, God. And I, God, will speak to you. Now Moshe is relating the story, but he, when he's saying I now, he means God told me. And I will speak to you, God says, all the mitzvah, which, as I mentioned, Nachal Miteg says is the exhortations of how and why one needs to keep the laws, and the chukim and the mishpatim, the actual laws themselves that Moshe will soon relate, that you will teach them. You, Moshe, will transmit these laws, and they will do it in the land that I am giving them as an inheritance, or perhaps the rishta means when they conquer it. Uh, As I said, Rabbi Lievteg explains that mitzvah here means the exhortations. That part of the speech, like Shema Yisrael and Vihayaki V'yacha, which explains to people how and why to keep the commandments, and the Chukim and the Mishpatim are the actual commandments. So Moshe now returns to the present in his speech. He explained how it all went down in Sinai, how they committed themselves to trusting a rabbinic system essentially where Moshe delivers the word of God and their fear and appreciation of that process will cause them to feel as if they received it firsthand. And Moshe says the following to the second generation. So you must be careful to do as the Lord commanded you to do, not to turn from it either right or left. That expression is repeated later in chapter 17, specifically referring to following commandments of judges, not to take what the judges say and change it right and left. So that fits into the idea as Moshe is the first uh, transmitter, intermediary of transmitting the Mesorah of God's law. Uh, um, And and that fits into the sense here, which is like saying, trust me, I'm giving it to you straight. Don't go left, don't go right. I'm giving it to you exactly as I heard it 39 years ago. My interpretations are correct, Moshe says. My decisions regarding what God wants are right. They're a straight fastball right down the middle of the plate without any curves. Um, The Aliyah now continues in chapter 6, and and it was a poor idea to, to break... Uh, chapter 6 off from pra- uh, chapter 5, so so blame Archbishop Stephen Langton for creating this chapter system, because all of this, that is, as we continue, all of this, the recitations and commandments, the retelling of the people's commitment to have Moshe act as their intermediary, all of this is still a part of Moshe's second speech, which is made up of the mitzvah, which are the exhortations, and the musr, and the inspiration, and the chokim and the shpatim, which are the actual commandments, specifically the ones relating to a successful establishment, of the state of Israel in the promised land. So chapter six continues. Now that I've told you about the Ten Commandments and how those rest of those commandments are going to be tr- transmitted, now I'm going to transmit them in this speech. These are the mitzvah. Note the singular use of the word mitzvah, which really supports Rabbi Lietek's idea that it's specifically talking about the exhortations the Shema Yisrael, and not the actual laws, and the Chukim and the Mishpatim, which are the actual laws, to do them in the land that you are going over to inherit or to conquer. And section one of the speech is, Leman tira et Adonai Elohecha l'shmore kol chukotav u'mitzvotav asher anochim mitzvacha atah, asher anochim mitzvacha atah uvincha uvinvincha kol yemecha yechol l'man yarechul yamecha in order that you fear the Lord God uh, your God, so that you keep all of His laws and commandments in the plural. So here it's actually talking about commandments. And I, that is Moshe, I'm commanding you, you and your children, your grandchildren, in order that you have extended lives. Meaning first, I have to exhort to you about fear and love of God and why I want you to do the commandments. And then I'll actually get into the commandments. <speaking> in <Hebrew> And you will obey, O Israel, and you will make sure to perform them in order that it be good for you and that you increase greatly. And these are the two promises specifically stated uh, uh, in, in in the commandment to honor your mother and father. So this idea of a long life and a good life returns. Or as the rabbis understood it, as I mentioned, uh, life in this world and life of the world to come. But continuing on with this verse, and in order that you greatly multiply just as God had spoken with you, And now, jumping back to describe the land uh, that you will inherit, Uh, it is a land that flows of milk and date honey.